Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. Today, as a church, we get to continue on in the story of Joseph. If you want to uh, turn to Genesis 41, that's where you can turn. Uh, be prepared. Uh, I want to acknowledge the really great job Pastor Chase did <clears throat> last week as he spoke. Uh, he talked about the detour that Joseph had to take into the dungeon. <clears throat> really thankful for his honesty, his transparency as he talked about the recent journey. It was so fun to hear that last week and then help them get moved into their new place this past weekend. Uh, this coming Friday is a baby shower for Hannah. And uh, we get a, what a great chance to celebrate God's faithfulness in their lives. Help them move into a house, help them celebrate a new baby. And uh, yeah, the Lord's been with them and it's such a cool journey to hear about. Um, yeah, to hear more about it, you'll have to go listen to the podcast or watch the YouTube thing from last week. So, uh, you know, there's nothing quite like uh, the anticipation of something that you just know is going to be awesome, right? You anticipate it, and you wait, and you think it's going to be great. Now, we talk often here about Boise State, right? It's just right down the street, uh, uh, less than two miles. Many of you probably remember very vividly a picture in your mind of the 2007 Fiesta Bowl, right? Now, uh, I was, you know, not too far out of college, big sports guy, and I followed that season just like as closely as possible. And like you, I remember all of the details. I remember that time when college game day was here, right? And uh, those of you that are sports people think that's awesome. Those of you that are not sports people are like, college what? Just trust me, it's a really big deal. The biggest deal in college football in the entire country was here on a Saturday. They had the fancy cameras, and they had the huge crowds, and the biggest personalities. It was a really hard ticket to get. I go to a lot of games. I didn't get to go to that one, but I remember getting up and watching college game day from outside Bronco Stadium. Ian Johnson ran crazy, right, over Oregon State. That season was like a dream where it seemed like the impossible became possible, right, because you kept thinking, you know, it's got to end at some point. They won every game. They went, and they beat Oklahoma miraculously. If you uh, haven't seen it, even if you're not a, a Boise State fan, you should go YouTube it or something like that. It's awesome. Um, and then after that, they were so good for so long that we just kind of expected it, right? Because a few years later, they won the Fiesta Bowl again. And then a few years after that, they won the Fiesta Bowl again. And we just got, came to expect. We expect them to go 13-0, 12-1. They go play some team that's big and powerful. We just expected them to go win. But then some things happened, right? That one guy, uh, Kellen Moore, graduated. It was sad. Sad. Kellen Moore graduated. The other guy, Coach Pete, he moved on. Also sad. Right? And it kind of seemed, we, we didn't want to believe it and we don't want to think so, but it kind of seemed like they lost the edge that made him great. Right? There was something about him, even on TV. They just had this edge and they'd go out and you just knew if they were playing like Georgia or Oregon or whoever or Arizona. Sorry, Zach. Big Arizona fan. Uh, if they're playing with those teams, they were just going to go win, right? They were going to go put it to them. And every year, I don't know about you, but I keep thinking, this year is going to be the one. Oh, they're going to get back to it. This is the year. They're going to win the big game at the beginning, and they're going to escape the potholes, and they're going to go undefeated. They're going to go to a big bowl game. We'll spend, what, 10 years? And we're still waiting for that? Now, we may still have the dream. I do have the dream. We may still have the dream, but it sure seems like it's far away. That last Fiesta Bowl against Arizona seems like it was so long ago. And each year, it gets a little more painful to see them not get back 
to where we hope they're going to go and see someone else get to go to these big bowl games in their place. This really well-known proverb that many of you may not even know is in the Bible. It's one of those sayings that's just really common in society. It's well-known in general. Uh, Proverbs 13, 12 says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Having to wait and wait on a dream, man, makes your heart hurt. Sure is a, a beautiful and a true verse, I believe, but it doesn't make it any easier when uh, more and more time passes and our heart begins to feel more and more pain and the dream that we believe that God put inside of us seems to be farther away than ever. And that's right where we left Joseph last week. You'll have to go listen to Pastor Chase's message from last week for, for the whole story. But suffice to say, Joseph, to this point in his life, he had been through the ringer, right? Uh, just a quick recap. He'd been sold into slavery by his brothers. He'd been shipped off to Egypt. He'd worked his way to the top of a very well-off household once he got bought as a slave. But he ended up back in prison on a made-up charge. And all of it was because of a dream that he'd had when he was 17 that he decided to share with his brothers that they didn't like. I believe Pastor Chase ended on it last week, but that final verse of Genesis 40 is so profound. Genesis 40, 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. What did he do? He forgot him. Joseph had hoped that this official affair that had been restored to this high position, that he would put in a good word for him. But the moment that he was out, the moment he was back in Pharaoh's house, he forgot all about Joseph. And so there in prison sits Joseph. His dream seeming like it's a little bit farther, his hope being deferred a little more each day. And the question that Joseph was asking surely is the same one that you would have been asking or I would have been asking in that position. And that is the question, why? And the answer for Joseph and the answer for us, if we are still in the waiting today, is that hardship is gold being created in the life of a Christian. This is all over the Bible. Proverbs 17.3 tells us the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold. But the Lord tests the heart. Charles Swindoll, in this book that I read about Joseph, I took some notes on. He says this, all whom God uses greatly are first hidden in the secret of his presence, away from the privilege of man. And all of that kind of sets the stage for where Joseph sits. In Genesis 41.1, that first verse, beginning of it says this, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. Pharaoh had a dream. For two years after the cupbearer and the baker leave prison, for two years, Joseph waits. And let me tell you, Joseph, while he's waiting in prison, He's in Egypt, so he's not having the pastor come to check on him each week. This is not a thing that was there. He's not having a small group with his friends to pray about his needs while he's uh, in the waiting. He's not taking classes preparing for his big opportunity. He's in the dungeon. Yeah, he's in charge of the dungeon. We know that from Genesis 40. He's in charge of the dungeon, but it's still the dungeon. But then something crazy happens. Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh has a dream. Let's read together Genesis 41, 1 through 16. I'm reading to you this morning uh, out of the NIV. Verse 1 says this. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. 
He was standing by the Nile when out of the river uh, there came seven, came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today, I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And I love what Joseph shows us as we look at these verses. It's that God is always moving behind the scenes. It's our job to be prepared. Think about this. I want to show you what I mean. Verses 1 to 7, they kind of describe in detail this dream that Pharaoh has. And Pharaoh, by the way, the ruler of the most powerful nation on earth at the time. In those two years between Genesis 40 and 41, some stuff had happened. The baker had been killed right away. The cupbearer is back in the place. And Joseph, he's in prison. And Pharaoh, just like you and I, Pharaoh surely had had other dreams. But no dream had affected him the way that this dream had affected him. Pharaoh, just like you and I, he's a human being, right? He probably woke up processing what it is that he had seen while he was sleeping. I don't know about you, but a lot of times I will dream about whatever happens to be heavy on my mind or heart. And it can be important or it can be not important. I don't try and fix cars that much because I'm not that good at it. It takes me forever. But if I'm trying to fix a car and a particular bolt or screw is stuck, I'll have a dream that I finally get the bolts out. But there's like, when I get it out, there's like 10 more bolts behind it. This happened to me. I had to take, replace the starter in my car right before we moved from CUNA to Boise. And I worked for like three hours on this bolt, and I decided I needed to get uh, a different tool. I couldn't get until the next day, and that was a Saturday, and we had church on Sunday. So I had to go take care of it after church. And Saturday night, I kept having this dream that I got this big, long bolt out, and there was 10 more bolts behind it that I couldn't reach. Like many dreams, uh, these that Pharaoh was having, they had an element that they didn't seem to make any sense. It's logical, of course, that a ruler would be worried about the well-being of his empire. And therefore, he might be dreaming about how to best take care of his people. But Pharaoh, he wakes from a restless sleep after this first dream that's kind of strange, right? He's probably thinking, well, I get the part about the cows, but why did the thin... The, why, why did the thin cow uh, eat the other cow? 
Now, why did the weak cow eat the healthy cow? Why did not the healthy cow eat the weak cow? I and mean, why is the cow eating each other in the first place? It doesn't make any sense. Just thinking, man, those jalapenos I had for dinner. It's all good. I don't know if they had those in Egypt, right? I don't know, but just what I came up with. He falls back asleep, right? And the same thing happens. He wakes up. He's, he's thinking, I get the part about the grain. Why did the thin grain swallow the healthy grain? I guess the cows have mouths, so they technically could eat. But why did the wheat stalks eat the other wheat? They don't even have mouths. Now he wakes up, and Genesis says in there that Pharaoh was troubled. Your Bible, depending on what version you have, it may say disturbed. And the Hebrew word that's being translated to troubled or disturbed is the same one that's used only a couple other times in the Old Testament. One of them is Daniel chapter 2, when King Nebuchadnezzar also has these strange dreams about these statues being smashed. Psalm 77, when the psalmist prays, I was too troubled to speak. Those are the only two times when it's used in the Old Testament. The point is that this word carries a heavy enough meaning. It's not used very often. It's more than just, boy, my stomach feels funny. It's I don't feel right. You see, Pharaoh woke up, and he knew that something was wrong. He knew enough to know that this dream he'd had it meant something, but either he didn't know or he was not willing to admit what it probably meant on his own. And then we enter the villain of the story, the cupbearer. If I'm Joseph... Joseph didn't think this, obviously, but if I'm him, I'm probably thinking that dirty cupbearer. He told me he was going to remember me, but enter the cupbearer. Remember the last time we heard from him, verse 23 of the previous chapter, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Well, here he finally speaks up in verses 12 and 13. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. Two years earlier, they had been together in prison. And I think it's really important to realize that when the cupbearer had his dream, Joseph, he was under no, under no obligation to tell him what the dream meant. In that situation, I think most of our reaction would have been to, instead of telling what the dream meant, to instead hold our cards really close to our chest. Make sure we use it for maximum advantage later on. You know, friends, what Joseph shows us is how sensitive we can be to what others need when our hearts are in the right place. What we've seen from Joseph so far throughout his life, whether he's in the prison, whether he's in the penthouse, is his heart is soft towards others. His heart is soft towards others whether they can help him or not. That's a hard thing to do in this life. Now, not that Joseph didn't have at least a little bit of hope in his heart that he might get out of prison as well. And it does eventually happen. He does get out. It just takes two more years. So back to that question, why did Joseph have to spend an extra two years in prison? I believe what we can learn in the answer is that the time of trying is needed so we can handle the promotion that comes later. We don't know what it was. Joseph went through while he was in prison, but God used it to prepare him uh, for what we're going to talk about next week, for the promotion that was going to come. You know, success that happens too quickly has brought down many a man or woman. In Joseph's trial, what it has done is it has ensured that he was going to be ready for whatever it was that was ahead of him. All of this 
was happening in preparation for the return of the dream that God had placed inside of Joseph when he was 17. You see, Pharaoh, he's worried enough that he's going to look for anyone he can to confirm or deny what is troubling his heart, the thing that made him wake up not feeling well. He's called on his magicians, those that he believes are the most in touch with the supernatural. It says in verse 8 there that they couldn't interpret the dream. But most scholars think that it's likely that they knew exactly what the dreams meant. They just weren't willing to be honest with Pharaoh about what may be coming because they didn't want to be punished, thrown out, killed. And at this point, Pharaoh, he's so troubled, he does not care where the answer comes from, as long as it comes. So verse 14, we see Pharaoh sends for this Hebrew man, Joseph. It's really interesting to know here that Joseph changes his clothes and he shaves his beard. What this does, a small thing, is it shows wisdom on Joseph's part that he did this. Of course, he'd want to change out of his prison clothes. Hebrews, though, usually wore a beard while Egyptians tended to be clean-shaven. And Joseph, he knew who he was about to go before, and he prepared in the best way he knew how. He knew what Pharaoh was going to be looking for, so he cleaned himself up. Here's, though, the part that moves my heart so much. Verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And we've talked about Joseph. The whole series is called Here Comes the Dreamer. And I imagine Joseph at some point in those two years was thinking, man, I wish I never would have said anything to my brothers. Wish I would have kept it to myself. They're probably home with dad. They're probably eating just fine. They're probably not in prison. But it's so poignant, and it's just like God to do this. You see, Joseph may have been the dreamer, but it was somebody else's dream that got him out of prison. Joseph was the one that had the dream in the first place, but it's someone else's dream that got him out. And because someone else had a dream, the dream that was in Joseph has returned. And it's not just any someone. Isn't this just like God, right? It's not just any someone. It's the leader of the most powerful civilization on earth at the time. And once more, we see that heart that was within Joseph when Pharaoh asks him to interpret what he's seen. When Pharaoh comes to him and says, hey, Joseph, can you please explain to me what's keeping me up at night? I just want to sleep well tonight. Joseph, he does something so powerful, something that we struggle to do sometimes so much on this earth. Because what is probably the most powerful man in the world has called him and said, hey, can you help me? And what are Joseph's first words? I cannot do it. I cannot do it. This is the part, if this is a movie that you're watching, and you see someone make a decision, this is the part where I yell onto the screen. What are you saying? You've interpreted dreams before. Of course you can do it. What are you doing, right? I don't know if you're a screen yeller. There might be people in my house that are screen yellers when stuff like that happens. But Joseph, man, it's incredible. He places all the power in God's hands, and he removes it from his own. I cannot do it, but I know someone who can. He says God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Man, what an example for us to follow. For the times when God eventually does answer our prayer, give us the desires of our heart, 
uh, giving God the glory instead of taking it ourselves. I had this conversation with people about uh, pastors that fall or megachurches that fall. And um, oftentimes, almost always, those people's hearts start, the pastors of these churches, the leaders of these organizations, they start in the right place. But at some point, uh, they begin to take the glory for themselves uh, instead of giving it to God. And not every leader of every large church has that happen. You Just the ones you see, the ones that are in the news. That's a very small percentage. But what an example for us to follow when God gives us the desires of our heart, giving him the glory instead of taking it ourselves. You know, there's one other person in the Old Testament who God gave the ability to interpret dreams like this. And it was Daniel in that chapter we referenced earlier. As he says to King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Daniel 2, 27 and 28, this is what Daniel said to King Nebuchadnezzar. This will ring true. No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he is asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. A little bit later, Daniel will say the same thing. I can't do it, but I know someone who can. Just as God used Daniel for his glory in the midst of a pagan culture, he was using Joseph here. And friends, lest we think we're the only ones to ever live in a time like we live, maybe we need to understand that just like God placed Daniel and Joseph He's placed us and chosen us for a time such as this. He's placed you and he's chosen you for a time such as this. Lucas and Selena, he's placed you, he's chosen you for a time such as this. He's placed me, my wife, my family, for it chose me for a time such as this. Every one of you in the job or the school you go to every day, he's placed you and he's chosen you for a time such as this. The question is whether uh, when God gives you favor, do you say, well, it's not me who can do it, it's God. Things here have happened pretty quickly. And Joseph now stands before the ruler of Egypt, his pharaoh. He recounts his dreams once more. Look with me, verses 17 through 24. There's just a couple small differences here. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile, and out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done. They looked, they looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven others' heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Like I said, it's pretty similar to the previous telling of the dreams. But one part, I think, betrays how worried that Pharaoh was becoming. Kind of tips us off in verse 19 about the cows. He says he's never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. In this dream, he sees something he has never seen in real life or in a dream. Maybe Pharaoh, he could explain everything else away. But this part troubled him so much that he couldn't get past it. I don't know why else he wouldn't have included it before, but he included it now. And Pharaoh, like we said, concludes in verse 24 by telling Joseph, he's asked his magicians, but none of them could tell him the meaning of the dreams. Really interesting to know at this time, the Egyptians and the Babylonians both, they were developing like a science around interpreting dreams. The reason being is that these ancient civilizations, they thought that dreams could tell the future. 
And they even sometimes did, as we're about to see. In fact, there was a part of this studying of dreams believed that if you had two dreams back to back, like, like Pharaoh did, and then had it twice, that it really meant something. The Israelites, if you read further in the New Testament, they're told to stay away from these people in Deuteronomy 3 because they were part of a false religion. And like we said, God only gave two people in the Old Testament the ability to do it that we know of. It's really incredible. Uh, I'm actually going to need to read this first. Let's look at Joseph's interpretation, verse 25 through 32. Sorry, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Verse 25, Joseph gave orders. Oops, wrong chapter. That's in a couple weeks. Sorry. <laughs> then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven good years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It's one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. There are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. I think it's really incredible for us to see here that Pharaoh's best man, they could not do what God had prepared Joseph to do. Pharaoh gets his best, his smartest guys, and they could not do what God had prepared Joseph to do for two years in that prison. In this small section, I see two reasons why Joseph could and the magicians couldn't. It's also really interesting to note before we get to those that Joseph, he didn't need any time to study, any time to ponder. He didn't need to go think about it. He, he knew, right, discernment in his heart. One of the reasons I believe is because Joseph's time and testing, time of testing and reliance upon God, it had prepared him for this very moment. He just went through two years feeling like he was forgotten in prison, wondering what in the world was going on and what was happening as God was preparing him for this moment, the moment that would change the rest of his life, not only his, but his family's life. Because of, uh, it's as a result of his time in the cistern, getting thrown in by his brothers, it's as a result of his time in Potiphar's house and living a life of honesty. It's a result of his time in the dungeon. And it's a result of relying on God to sustain him and speak to him when he was all alone. Because of those things, Joseph knows what this dream means simply as, as you and I know the color of the sky. He hears it. He knows it because he's relying upon his God. We mentioned earlier that the magicians, they probably knew what those dreams meant, at least in a general sense. And Egypt had been through famines before. You go read the history books. This happened to ancient cultures. They went through famines. But they were, these magicians, they were not willing to say so if they knew because they didn't want to upset Pharaoh. Didn't want to give him an answer he didn't want to hear. But Joseph, one of the reasons he was able to be used is he was willing to be honest when the magicians were not willing to be honest. Joseph was bold enough to tell Pharaoh the truth. That takes a lot sometimes, and it takes God speaking to tell someone the truth that they do not want to hear, especially when they have power over you. Why was Joseph willing to do it and the magicians weren't? Well, the magicians based their life upon what Pharaoh said. Joseph cared with the living God who brought him out of the dungeon and the cistern and Pharaoh, uh, the, the captain of the guard's house. Joseph cared with the living God who brought him out of the dungeon, had said. 
We're going to stop there as far as the text that we're going to read this morning because we don't have time to adequately get into what God has for us in the next part and what God does in Joseph's life. I believe uh, that we're stopping here today for a good reason. I believe we're stopping here today because God, and it's the same God uh, who brought Joseph up out of the pit uh, into Potiphar's house. The same God that was with him in a prison that he did not deserve to be in. And then it took him to a palace. The same God that did all of those things, the same God of the Old Testament, the same God is here with us, and that same God is speaking. The voice, the prompting that you felt in worship or in communion, it was God speaking to, speaking to you, and that's the same God that was speaking to Joseph to interpret these dreams. Pastor Chase talked last week about the detour in the dungeon. And how many of you know that sometimes when you go on a detour, you pull up right, and you're like, oh, I didn't know this was here. Take the sign, and you turn left, and you're thinking, man, I just hope they're going to route me through a subdivision. I'm back on the main road. But you follow some signs. Pretty soon, the signs disappear. You're not even sure if you're on the right detour anymore. And you think, there is no chance this thing is taking me where I want to go. I would turn around, but I'd probably get lost going back to the other road. This isn't even on the Google Maps, right? I've been on a few detours like this where they take you multiple miles, multiple major roads. But if they did a good job planning this thing out, you end up where you hope to be. Even if it's by a, a route and a direction that you had no idea about, that you could not have found on your own. We've been talking about dreams. And this dream that God put inside of Joseph and uh, the dream that God might have put inside of you. And I believe he's put a dream inside of every single one of you. But you might be here. You might be listening. You might be asking uh, that same question. Why? Lord, this, this was not the way it was supposed to work out. When I shared my dream, when, when I said yes to this thing you were calling me, calling me to, this was not how it was supposed to look. I don't know if you saw the roadmap that I had written down, but this is not how it was supposed to look. Maybe you feel like your hope, instead of being realized, your, your hope continues to be deferred each day, pushed a little farther down the road. But I believe what we learn from the account of Joseph here in Genesis is that so often as humans, we do not need what we think we need. Because I don't know about you, but what we think we need to know is the plan down to every turn in detail. I like it if I pull up to one of those crazy detours and hand me a sheet of paper that tells me all the turns. How many miles till I get back to the main road? But what we really need is the understanding that God is moving and he's preparing behind the scenes. We don't need to know the plan. We just need to understand that God is moving. And the thing is, if we could see what the plan was, it probably would scare us off. Remember that Pharaoh's dream was what brought Joseph up out of the dungeon. But Pharaoh, or Joseph, when he is in the dungeon, he does not know Pharaoh's having the dream. All he knew is it was one more day when he woke up and he'd been forgotten by the cupbearer who promised to remember him. Oh, man, one more day, that guy. Wish I never would have said anything to him. Joseph didn't know Pharaoh was having the dream. What we think we need is the authority and the ability to make any decision we want without being questioned. That what Joseph shows us we need is simply a heart that's humble. 
We don't need the authority to decide what we want to do. We need to have a heart that's humble. You can go ahead and come up, Zach, when you're ready. So, friends, I ask you this. What if we said when it comes to whatever is in front of us, and I believe, I know that you're all facing stuff today. Because we're humans, we all are. Friends, what if we said when it comes to whatever is in front of us, when it comes to figuring out how to raise a family in the time in which we live, we talk all the time here about how if we love the family, we can change the world. What if we said when it comes to trying to love our family and change the world? What if we said when it comes to figuring out how to be a teenager uh, in this world, in these schools that you guys go to, what if we said when it comes to being a teenager and serving God in a public school each day? What if we said when it comes to learning how to be married? It's going to be awesome, but it's harder than you think. What if we said when it comes to navigating a transition in our lives? What if we said when it comes to somehow putting the pieces back together after our family or our life is just splintered into a million pieces because it's something we couldn't control? What if we said when we're navigating a health crisis that we never expected, what if we said in the midst of all those things, I cannot do it, but I believe in my heart that God has the answer? What if we said that? And it's for the answer to the why. There's a New Testament answer to the Old Testament question. 1 Peter 1.7 says this. If you want to know why you're serving God, you're living the best life you can, trying to obey his commands. If you want to know why, here's the reason. 1 Peter 1.7. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. Why are you going through what you're going through? So Christ can be revealed. You don't know who you're revealing Jesus to every single day by putting one foot in front of the other. By saying, I don't know how to do this, but I know the God who can. Because see, if our heart is in line with Joseph's heart, then we're more concerned with what God is saying than anything else. And when we're more concerned with what God is saying than anything else, then we can know in our hearts that soon the detour is coming back to the main road. We might not know the next few turns, but we know what's going to get there. Uh, you bow your heads this morning. We're uh, going to pray, and then we're going to sing for a moment. I want to encourage you, if you're here this, here this morning and uh, you hear us talking about God and Jesus and you feel like you're far from the Lord, uh, if that's you today, I just want to encourage you to whisper a prayer uh, of submission to Jesus today. Ask him to come into your life. If you're here and you've known God but you feel like you're far from him today, I just want to encourage you to, uh, to re-invite him into your life. If you're here today and, and uh, you've done what I'm so tempted to do sometimes and you've just squeezed as tightly as you can around every circumstance, every situation in your life, hoping to control it, making it comfortable, but it's not leading where you want to lead and you just feel worse every day, I want to encourage you uh, to humble your heart to God today and give him the reins. Say to him, God, I trust you with the detour. I don't know where it's going to end up. I don't know why I'm on it, but would you be glorified? God, would you help me to say in every moment, in every situation, I, I don't know how to do this, but I know the God who can. 
Lord, would you use me? Would you use us to bring people to you? Friends, I encourage you uh, in this moment, would you tell God uh, that you're good with the detour wherever he's taking you? A short one, a long one, bumpy road, a smooth road. Would you just uh, do what Joseph did and tell him, hey, God, I'm good with the detour. You take me where you want to take me. Just let God speak to you uh, this morning for a moment. Lord, I thank you for your people. Thank you that you brought every one of us here for a reason today. Uh, I know that this life looks different for, for every person, but I pray that you would rescue every heart in this place. For those that are looking for you, I pray that you'd find them today, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you are in charge uh, of our lives. We hand it all to you. For those, Lord, that walked into this place far from you, I pray you would draw them near to you today. Friends, would you stand uh, this morning? Uh, we're going to sing for a moment. Before we release you, come on, stand. Zach's going to lead us for a moment. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.